You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. You know, folks, I think we've all looked around in these last few years and been pretty deeply disturbed by the number of church leaders that have had to be removed from their ministry uh, due to any number of reasons. I, I don't want to limit it to one or two reasons, but I would say in summary, uh, particularly pastors being removed from their ministry because their public reputation and their public image is dramatically and disturbingly different than their private behavior. And at some point, some leaders find out about this, either outside leaders that whistle blow into the church, or sometimes it's the church's own leaders that figure out that the oftentimes it's the lead pastor or the personality that's really driving the church is living at such drastic odds uh, with their public image that they have to be removed. Now, what so often happens is for many of these people is they never admit, they never come clean. Maybe they just hide and go away, but they're in full denial. Other leaders, they'll they'll kind of be repentant for a while, and, and it's really not for me to judge. I don't know their hearts, but it is disturbing to me to see the amount of public profile leaders that get caught, begin a process of repentance, cut it short, and kind of cut people off and then launch a new church on the basis of their personality. But there's the occasional exception to that rule. And today's guest, I really believe, is the exception to that rule. Today I'm chatting with Darren and Amy Patrick. Uh, Darren founded the Journey Church in St. Louis. He was instrumental in building the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. And a few years ago, his elders came to him, and, and it's his story to tell. I'm not going to tell it. Uh, if, if you don't know it, it, it's available for you to find out. But basically, Darren had to step down from ministry, had everything taken away from him. But the reason I was really interested in talking to not only Darren, but also his wife, Amy, is because they submitted, or I should say Darren submitted, to a full restoration process uh, that took quite a long time. And he's now back in ministry. And he's clearly been humbled by the experience and is very comfortable talking about what he's learned. I was also keen to get Amy on the show. I was really appreciative that Amy would come on so she could also share the impact on her. If you've noticed this season, I've been featuring more couples because I'm interested in how leadership affects both the spouse and the leader. Whether the man is the leader and the wife is the, uh, the woman is the spouse or sometimes the woman is the leader and the man is the spouse. It's interesting to me to get both of them on at once to hear the impact on each other as one of them leads. So let's listen in on Darren and Amy now. So Darren, let's talk about uh, young leader syndrome. I, I had a heavy dose of it when I was young, for sure. And uh, when we have our interns, we have college interns work at our church. I just see it particularly in young white men, particularly. Um, to, does that resonate with you? Did you struggle with that? Uh, young, what I call young leaders, you get, you get lots of affirmation for your gifts and you're not aware there's a shadow side of it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it's easy in those situations to go, well, I'm just, I'm an initiator. I'm not an executor or I'm, you know, I have communication gifts. I just don't have administrative gifts. So you kind of lump those comments and criticisms and, and kind of a, uh, you bifurcate them so you, so you don't really have to look at your shadow side. Uh, for, for me, a lot of the shadow side is related to um, doing too much and 
um, and, and getting spread too thin. And so then it's like, oh, uh, he starts all these things. He does all these things. He speaks well. He gathers people. He raises money. But then it's like, well, wait a minute, though. He also avoids intimacy and he avoids depth. And But nobody talked about that as long as all the other stuff was going. And so absolutely. I mean, I, I love that term, young leader syndrome. I had it. I'm uh, trying to get out of it. Yeah, still trying to grow out of it. Yeah, me too. When, when, how old would you have been when you first, either you or Amy first started to notice like, oh man, there's a shadow side to these gifts. Yeah, I don't know if we really saw it uh, until, until we actually planted a church um, and, and, you know, we were really uh, the leaders in charge per se. And I think it was really confusing at that point because you know, in the church planting world, uh, we were considered to be very, very successful and things were going very, very well. But there started to be, I think, more rumblings uh, relationally, uh, kind of below the surface, but become, coming more and more to the surface. Uh, that I don't know if we saw those things really until we took more of a primary leadership role. And as the church grew, it, it, those things grew and were exacerbated. Yeah. and. You know, so then it's like, well, staff to your weaknesses, you know, so then you, you hire people who aren't good at what you're good at. And, and, and I, I mean, she would constantly, I would cut, I just remember constantly coming to her and go, okay, now we figured it out. We're going to have this tier of leaders at this level. And these are going to be the people that we most connect with. And, and it, I was always trying to fix issues of the soul with um, processes and structure. And I think that started happening um, our church grew very rapidly, very quickly. And I think that happened probably in year three or four, where I started really trying to, if you want to say it, like fix issues of the soul with, you know, issues of structure. Yeah. And I think Darren, you also had the double pressure of, of a, not just a rapidly growing church, but also a rapidly growing national reputation. Right. Yeah. yeah that talk, didn't help. Yeah. Talk to <laughs> us about what that was like for you. You start getting recognized and, publicly acknowledged for your gifts and then people are asking you to come around and coach them and you're speaking. Yeah. Um, how was that for you? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was such a weird time. Um, uh, and I, I, yeah, I just, I look back and I go, Oh man, if we would have just had some older brothers and fathers in our, in our movement um, to kind of help, but you know, we were all really young and, how this thing was happening almost to us. Um, but it was very confusing. I mean, it's like, okay, so I'm the expert now. I've been doing this like three years, but I'm the expert, right? And and then the other side is when I traveled, I was the rock star where increasingly when I'm home, I'm the idiot because I don't know how to, you know, lead this thing. I don't know how to, I don't, people are getting wounded because we don't have good processes and care and development and so it's like the the road and kind of that whole world became a way to hide from really my own sanctification and the the process of development that i think if i would have stayed home more and not had all that recognition i could i would have been i would have been forced to deal with it uh but the whole celebrity minor celebrity thing really provided a temptation to escape um dealing with the shadow side yeah, I've heard you talk about um, the the danger of entitlement when you're 
paid to travel and consult, even in the church world, there's a whole entitlement thing that, that jumps in. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I mean, it's somewhere, you know, we're, we're supposed to be servant leaders, right? And so, you know, which says, I'm here to serve you. Entitlement says you are here to serve me. And I think that, you know, even, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but you get used to people treating you a certain way. And um, if you've got any kind of narcissism in you, which I do, uh, I have not been diagnosed with the disorder, thank God, but I'm, I, I definitely see those tendencies in me. And um, it's, it's, it's very alluring and, and, and very confusing. Um, and, and you click over really quickly. Um, I remember one of our elders saying, man, when, when early on you were just like, you were so surprised that God was blessing the church and your ministry. And he said, then it got to the point, point was you started expecting it. Hmm. And I, I think that was very indicting to me. Yeah. You know, I think something that's not talked about enough in church growth is what's also true is it's not just that you were, for example, ambitious and, and driven. It's also true that you and Amy, you guys were just trying to keep up with the growth. And so balls are dropped and, and you, you know, you sacrifice relationships for efficiency, things like that. Um, it, it feels like that makes it more difficult when you receive criticism because in, in many ways what's true is you're doing the best you can to keep up. Does that yeah. resonate with either of you guys? A hundred percent. Yes. I mean, that's when I look back on those years, that's how it primarily felt to me is that I was, you know, sprinting uh, something that was in, intended to be a marathon and was literally just running as fast as I could to keep up. Um, we had, you know, when we played at the church, we had one child who was a year and a half old. Um, and over, you know, the course um, of pastoring there, we had three more children. So our family was growing rapidly along with um, everything else that was happening. And so, yes, definitely, we were just trying to uh, keep up with what was going on and truly wanted to make sure that people were well taken care of and that things were done well and in a in a biblical way and in a healthy way. Um, but, you know, some of that below the surface stuff in Darren, I think that, I think he said, you know, many times after the fact now that he wishes he would have more been more intentional about putting on some breaks and slowing some things down. But that's very, you know, confusing when people are coming to Christ and your church is growing and wonderful things are happening. So that was a, that was a huge conundrum, I think, uh, through that entire time. Yeah, that's right. And Amy, while you're chatting to us, a topic that my wife and I are fascinated with, because I'm a lead pastor as well, is regardless of your official role in the church, you are the lead pastor's wife, which right. means that you have to deal with secondhand fallout from his leadership. Yes. I'm talking about conflicts that he gets in, criticism that he faces. Uh, you know about it, but you never get the opportunity to have direct access to deal with it. Yes, very difficult. Uh, it, it was, you know, hard for me many times when, you know, Darren would tell me that a situation had been resolved, you know, perhaps something that had been a relational conflict. But, you know, I would kind of be left with the thought of, was it really resolved? Uh, because I wasn't in the room. I didn't hear that conversation. I don't know exactly what happened there. And, and nor am I saying that I should have been, um, you know, in all of those conversations. But it does leave pastor's wives in a, in a very 
uh, tricky situation because you you don't know all of what's going on. You're not privy to everything, but you're absolutely affected, particularly relationally, um, with how those things go. And it it is it often feels very confusing. I think and can feel very lonely as well. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, as you guys know, my field is is noticing organizational and individual chronic anxiety, mm-hmm. and I, this is something I'm just putting more work into now is this kind of secondhand anxiety because you're fully in it, but you don't, you don't get to deal with it directly. It's all indirect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Darren, uh, just take us to the day when your elders set you down and basically said, look, you've crossed some lines. You have to step out of ministry to get help. Uh, just tell us a bit about what that was like for you in that er- initial conversation. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, devastating. Um, uh, the hardest part was it, it there was, um, you know, it, it was it was an ending of the, uh, you know, the 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 job. I mean, it was it wasn't a get restored back. Um, and so that was really hard to to deal with um, their generosity in our restoration process to, you know, to help us, you know, do that, you know, that whole time period, which we can talk about was very, very, like I said, generous. And, but it, it was hard because I'm just like, man, it's over. Like, there's no way to fix this. And um, yeah, devastated, um, su- you know, suicidal, um, you know, very uh, set. I mean, the whole process was, led me to uh, have to seek medication for, depression, anxiety, which I'd never had to do. Um, and, you know, and we had a counseling center. I mean, we started a counseling center out of our church. I think we, at one time we had like, I don't know, 10 full-time employees, like just a counselors plus staff, but, you know, like huge thing. And I believe in counseling, you know, and medication for everybody else. Um, but, and I, and I wasn't against counseling and I'd seen a counselor, but as far as like regularly having to like where, where you don't know if you're going to make it, like that's, that's the position I was in. Um, and thank God we ran across some amazing counselors, uh, that helped us, but yeah, it was, I don't, I mean, the word would be devastated. Uh, I think just absolutely devastated. Yeah. How long into that process, Darren, until you began to feel some hope for the future? Um, so what is today? <laughs> um, longer than we would have liked. Way longer. <laughs> Yeah, it was a year of no ministry, 15 months, and then another year of supervised ministry. And I would say probably at that, towards the end of that second year, you know, so probably really about two years in um, before I really uh, was hopeful. I'm not saying I wouldn't have glimpses of hope, but as far as like, oh, there's a future. I mean, because I didn't want to do ministry. I mean, there was a whole point in this thing. I'm just like, I'm done. And so then that had to kind of the Lord kind of said, no, you're not done. It's going to look differently, but you're not, you're not done. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's where the, you know, the elders and leaders at Seacoast church, absolutely just, I mean, we are eternally grateful for the way they loved us through that and helped me process my call and help me um, heal and, and have, have, you know, have be able to use some of my gifts, but not have to be, on the hook. I mean, Pastor Greg, Greg even said, he's like, listen, you, um, you are 
still broken in some of your leadership stuff. We're not going to have you lead a bunch of stuff, but you are a, an amazing teacher. We want you to teach. We want you to do some mentoring, um, but we need you to heal a little bit, which was wonderful uh, advice. Yeah. One of the reasons I was excited to have you guys both on the podcast is, is you're one of the few public pastors that I know, Darren, who was very publicly and unfortunately for you guys famously removed from your pulpit, who actually embraced the entire restoration process. So many of these men, at some point, they uh, shortcut it or bail out or, or they just kind of reboot somewhere else, right? But it seems to me that somewhere along the way, you embraced all of it. Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, I, I mean there was definitely a... Um, disagreement on, you know, the second year, how that should go. But with, you know, some of the people on the team, but, you know, Greg, Greg was very convinced as were several others that, you know, like now it's good for him to use this gift. So the, but the debate was, should he be doing any ministry okay. at all? And, um, but, you know, I felt early on, like, I just felt like, I mean, I'm not a big Jesus told me guy. Like, I don't want to, you know, be flippant with that. But I really felt like um, the word was, I'm perfecting you through this Im imperfect process. Um, and it was imperfect. There were there were a lot of miscues and any any re any restoration process is messy because no, it's it's just no one. There's no playbook. There's no way to know how to do it. Um, and so, but it, 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 but it was like, God, God was like, stay in it. I mean, it was very, and then pastor Greg was like convinced, um, he's like, you need to stay in this. It's going to be hard, but this is good for you. And it's going to be best in the long run. So, yeah. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all the counselors, you know, the rich Plass and Jim Cofield and at cross point ministries and, um, Rick Pierce at heart strong and ben, I mean we just so many so many people that just came alongside us and helped um help me finish and I and I think I you know as of May of you know 2019 I was able to be released from that process and um I'm grateful I think that you know when when we talk about the process I think we Darren knew um and I knew that the you know the point of this process was really for Darren to deal with this um deep heart stuff, some of these wounds that had never been healed, some of the emotional issues that he did not understand about himself, um, that there was some really deep work to do in him just as a person and as a Christian. Um, that was really the focus of the process. And we were very fortunate, uh, you know, to be paired up with some professionals who really knew how to lead us into that and to get to some some of those deeper heart issues um, that were going to be relevant, you know, in his life personally, in our marriage and in whatever he was doing with his life, um, you know, regardless ministry or not. So I think, you know, that was a focus from the beginning. Well, what I'm also hearing just as I'm listening to you guys talk this through is Darren, it sounds like you were given the gift um, of being unconditionally loved. And what I run into with pastors is that's a rare gift for us. We, we're good at telling others about the grace of God, but I, I just don't know that we believe Paul when he talks about God's power being made perfect in our weakness. I, I think we're all trying to graduate from that mm. so we can be, God's power can be made perfect through our gifts. But just mm. hearing you, you name some names of these, these were all men that you named, it just sounds like you were well loved. 
Absolutely. Now, I mean, you know, and I, I think, you know, I think of that, you know, first John four eighteen, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. Yeah. Um, that's what, you know, my whole thing was fear, you know, it just, it, I, I, I avoided fear and, and I'm good at like, you know, I'm not, I'm not risk averse at all. I'm good at taking chances. So I, but that whole, it just, it just, the anxiety and fear just gripped me. And I absolutely think that, you know, God's love expressed through these people, what, you know, carried us, carried us and helped me to go, you know, there, there are, I'd never really had a spiritual, I, I you know, and part of it is I repelled older men at times with my arrogance and, um, but part of it is we, you know, we had some guys, we didn't have a lot of these kind of people around, you know, in a church plant and, a, um, there were, there weren't just a lot of spiritual fathers around. Yeah. Um, I'd never really experienced that before. Uh, I didn't have an earthly father who was a Christian or, or, you know, he was, he was abusive. And then, and then I've got a string of pastors that I have served under that or, or ministry leaders that really weren't that, um, nurturing and, and, and loving and and then a lot of guys who would use me for my gifts so that was my track record and then to have, find these guys who were not impressed by me in the in the best sense of that word yeah and and, and yet said hey there's more for you to do like you we got to get you back healthy and i think yeah i think that combination of like you know just non uh they were not infatuated at all with me or my gifts uh, but they were absolutely committed to me and my family and they absolutely believe in my future. I think that combination was huge. Yeah. Well, we've really learned that the relational aspect of healing is a big deal. You know, I think people, God is our healer, obviously, but we're healed in those kinds of healthy, um, unconditionally loving relationships. And, and we've definitely seen that as part of this. No, I, I totally agree. You know, people talk all the time about God being the healer, but he sure seems to use skin. Like skin yes. seems to be a big deal in the healing. Yes. Yeah. You know, Amy, um, I, I just want to just name that, that Darren coming home from that meeting and being fired and, and you learning about it. I just want to name the very understated reality that there had to be a horrific time. Yes. What, what I'm interested in is what was it like for you when Darren started dipping his toes back into ministry? I, mm. I, I would imagine that would have been also a scary time. Could you talk us through that? Sure. Yes. Well, um, I am, I am more cautious than Darren is in general. Uh, so I think that was definitely in play that I was certainly, um, very cautious and, uh, wanted to take my time and, um, you know, make sure about kind of moving back into these scenarios. But I also think I've had to learn that, you know, there will always be, um, people who are skeptical of, um, you know, is he really healthy? Is he really okay? Um, and there will be some that, you know, some just by, because they don't have proximity to him really, and we're not involved in his process, um, which everyone can't be, will never be convinced. Um, so there's been an acceptance of that, um, for me, that has been important to understand and embrace. Um, and just to know that we're probably not going to, you know, move into ministry situations where there won't be any pushback or where everything will be all clear or there will be questions at times. And that's just part of the reality um, that I've had to accept in that, which is which has been new. 
Um, but there's also a grace in that um, to know that um, we we are different than we were before. He is he is for sure different, and there are still things to learn. Um, but that we can move forward with with healthy people and do ministry in healthier ways than we have before. But yeah, I've definitely, um, you know, I've I've always wanted only to do what God has called me to do in my life since I was a teenager, and so none of that has changed. Um, but I think there's a more um, realistic, less idealistic um, element to the way that I view ministry and life and ministry now than there was before, which I actually think is is healthier. Obviously, you've you've had a pretty complex relationship with your dad, but he died, kind of in the season of all this. Um, yeah, right my, before my, it. Yeah, my experience yeah. with action-oriented leaders is that we're often like the last person to know that we're not okay. We just—it's almost like we bank pain and keep moving. Is how was that for you? Were you able to take the time to grieve, or did you just keep pressing on? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, like, yeah, I was the last to know. I mean, the the leaders around us were, you know, throwing flags on the field and, um, and, and yeah, and I, yeah, I, I, I remember my dad died and, and realizing, man, I, I mean, I, the best thing I can say is just something, bro- I felt like something broke inside. And, my fear, and, and I mean, I what I looking back, I wish I would have said, "Hey, I need a six month sabbatical," which I had never had a a longer than a. I think the longest I'd ever been off was two and a half months in fourteen years. Um, so, but I was, we were having all this conflict within the team, and my fear was, if I leave, then I'm going to lose control of this, and so I'm just going to push through it. I mean, I, that was a conscious choice. But I remember initially, I'm like, I need some time off. I mean, this is like something's going on here um, in me that I'm not accustomed to. And it's deceiving because I'd wrote, written about father wound and forgiving your dad. And I, and I really had. I mean, I, I, it, it, as much as I knew. And then, you know, you, you know all this stuff happens. And, you know, I, I, you know grieving is I'm not, I'm not used to grieving well. And, yeah. and, and so then it's like I'm in the middle of that. Um, but yeah, th- there was definitely a, uh, you know, a season of like realizing, oh my gosh, like ev- what everybody has been saying, I'm starting to see, but I just didn't have the tools to deal with it. And I was just, I didn't have the faith to, to really trust God in it. And which is why I think, you know, everything happened as it happened. Cause I, 
you know, I think God gives us plenty when leaders are about to implode. He gives plenty of opportunity to repent. I, I think there's there's multiple um, opportunities, and that was one of them, and I didn't take it. And you know, as they say, Plan A is humility. Plan B is humiliation. So I, mm. I unfortunately took Plan B. Yeah. The other thing I'm interested in for either of you to answer is um, I've noticed yeah. in my own life, I'm, I'm projecting onto you guys. So if this is inaccurate, <laughs> please correct it. But I'm, I've noticed in my own life, in my early years, people would compliment me for how much I could handle. Mm -hmm. And I took it as a compliment. M my wife, though, was always concerned. She'd always be saying, are you okay? Like, you're carrying a lot. And, but I mm -hmm. would hear it as, yes, I am, you know. And... In the last several years, I've made a vow to God that anytime somebody says to me, wow, you can carry a lot, that I should take it as a threat and an insult rather than a compliment. It's not something uh -huh. I should be proud of. Interesting. How does that resonate with you guys? Yeah, I think... Amy, uh, Amy loves that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think what I would say, you know, about that for Darren is that you know, he's very persuasive. And so there, there was always a, a good reason as to why um, he could carry as much as he was and, and he was doing fine and another opportunity was going to be okay. You know, so when we would have these discussions about these things, when I would say, you know, things similar to what you just said, your wife would say, this, you know, this seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, he was very persuasive in return. And I really didn't have a whole lot of argument uh, back around that. I would also say though, you know, something that I've learned about myself is that I, I kind of grew up in an environment where, you know, probably too much happening and feeling overwhelmed all the time was the norm. Mm. So, you know, it was, it, even though I could look at it at times and say, boy, this feels like a lot, it was also the normal for me to feel pretty overwhelmed and to think that was just kind of how we all had to operate. Uh, so I think there were ways that I that I enabled that in Darren without really meaning to. I could just pick up the slack and keep going and keep all the balls spinning, you know, for a while um, as a way to what I thought was help him uh, when in retrospect, it really wasn't helpful at all. And it was really, you know, kind of serving some of my own needs to remain in, you know, a state that was comfortable for me, even though it wasn't healthy. Um, and that's been a huge revelation for me. Mm, that's good. Well, um, I don't know if you've been warned or if uh, the rumor mill has gotten to you guys, but every guest on this uh, podcast answers a set of questions about chronic anxiety that we very helpfully call the gauntlet of anxiety questions. And uh, I've had them described as a, a equal parts proctological exam and roller coaster ride. So, um, that sounds lovely. Wait, oh, at the same time, a, a, a procto exam while riding a roller coaster? Thanks for asking. Uh, con concurrent. It's a concurrent experience. Uh, so what I do is because, uh, you know, you guys, I know, are, uh, Enneagram trainers, my field is systems theory. I know Darren, you and I've kicked it around a bit on Twitter. Yes. Uh, I'm going to be a little, um, teachy, but in the episode, I'll be editing out my instruction and we'll just get to the question, but I, I gotcha. want to try to no, do it, coach man. you in a way that is helpful. Yeah. So chronic anxiety, uh, in family systems theory is a perceived need that you don't really need. So in my case, I need to be liked. I have a chronic people-pleasing idol. Mm. Um, and if some, if I think somebody doesn't like me, I get very anxious. But mm. my body actually doesn't know the difference between when I'm under real threat, like when I jog across a rattlesnake, uh, 
versus when I'm under perceived threat. And in family systems theory, the theory is the reason we burn out is we're carrying un- massive levels of unaddressed chronic anxiety. Hmm. So if, if that makes sense to you guys, yes. um, what I'd like you both to answer is what's helpful for people is to diagnose where does anxiety start in your body? Does it start in a spinning mind, a racing heart, or a tightening gut? What would each of you answer if, if, if anxiety for you begins in a spinning mind, a racing heart, or a tightening gut? For me, it would be a spinning mind. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. How about you, Amy? I think it's the tightening gut for me. Um, I definitely notice physical symptoms as the most pervasive, uh, when it comes to anxiety and the most problematic. Yeah. And then, so for you, Darren, is it like you believe the lie that you can think your way to peace, for example? Oh yeah. 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 If I can just figure it out. I mean, that, that's, that's really, um, and yeah, I just, if I, if I just give me a minute and let, you know, let me do my, you know, strategy connection, networking, problem solving, all that. Yeah. It's all in my head. All right. The second question is, uh, are you guys able to name something that you believe you need that you don't really need? Like in my case, the need to be liked or. Uh, something that generates anxiety for me is I need to be understood. So if somebody misattributes my motives, it's very hard for me. And then I do weird things. I try to meet with them more often or I, I try to use more words for them to understand. Um, are either of you able to name at least one thing that you think you need that you don't really need? Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a couple. One for me would be respect. It's funny when you say the like thing for you that you really want to be liked. I I mean, I don't. This is hard to answer because it's like you know, on the Enneagram three, uh, you know, non-resourceful dark side shadow side. It's I don't care if people like me, but I want people to respect me. Yeah. Like, I want to be liked. I don't mean, I think everybody wants to be liked, but my primary motivation is I, I really, I don't care if you want to sit with me. I just want you to know that I sit at the cool kids table. Yeah. So I think, I think it's that respect. Um, what would you say? Yeah, I would name a couple. I would say one is um, <clears throat> a certain amount of peace in circumstances that isn't always uh, realistic or possible. Uh, I often feel like I need that in order to actually be peaceful myself. Um, And the second one I would say is a certain level of productivity of being able to get things done, cross things off the list, feel like I've um, accomplished them, not for the same kind of wanting to achieve that Darren has, but just feeling like I'm able to keep the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two things for me are are both things that I I don't really have to have, but I, I love the way you said it. I really feel like they are. Our needs. Yeah, that's right. When you don't get them, you get anxious in your body. Yeah. Yes. And Amy, what would you identify for your Enneagram number? Um, I'm a yeah. nine primarily that, on the Enneagram. That's the piece yeah. You're answering. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, another thing, family systems, in fact, it was revolutionary when um, the founder of systems theory introduced this idea. But uh, in the Bible, I think the, the idea is represented with the sins of the father being passed to the third and fourth generation. In systems theory, the idea is that generational traits 
are handed down generation to generation. Some of those traits are very positive, some are very detrimental. Would each of you being willing to name a trait, you can choose a positive trait or a detrimental trait that has been handed down through your family? Yeah, I think for me, it would be um, like results are, are, you know, all that matters. Mm, okay. And so it really doesn't matter how you get there, just get it done. Um, I, my dad was a blue collar guy, you know, 10th grade education was the science level, uh, 10th grade and just work and you just, um, and, and just get results. It doesn't matter if you're sick, you got to work. It doesn't matter. Just, you just keep, you just push through and get the result. And then I think positively, I think that, I mean, on the other side of that coin is a workout. Yeah, that's right. Like you show up, right. You just, my dad, I remember my dad stepped on a, uh, a 16 penny nail, went through his foot somehow didn't break. Well, I don't know what happened. And I remember watching him have my mom, um, pull that nail out of his it was through his boot into his foot pull it out with pliers and him immediately go back to work <laughs> i mean walk right out and go right back to work i mean that i'll never forget well and that's probably also one of the traits that was a gift in church planning because you talk about a work ethic and right. getting something off the ground yeah yeah yep. amy how about you yeah, I think in my family, I can I can trace back a lot of unhealed trauma um, and the effects of that trauma kind of coming down through the family line. I think there's a sense of, uh, you know, hopelessness in that there, there are things that we don't get over. And I would agree with that in a sense of there are things that we certainly don't forget or that we won't completely see you know, healing for in this lifetime, but just kind of that a pervasive sense of hopelessness, I think due to unhealed trauma, I think that has come down um, through my family that has been um, very difficult. Um, on the other hand, on the positive side, there is, there is a, a real um, persistence and perseverance and, and sticking through difficult circumstances that I am I am very grateful for. Um, so I think that's probably the flip side uh, to a lot of that trauma as well. You know, we do survive things that we don't want to survive and, and keep going. Tenacity. Um, but uh, yes, for sure. But I think there's, it's a two-sided coin. Yeah. Oh, really good. Thank you. Uh, another side of family systems theory I found extremely helpful is it, it teaches you how to notice anxiety in a group. Uh, the theory is mm -hmm. that anxiety is always contagious. People catch it the way you catch a cold. In fact, the most anxious person in any group has the most power unless there's a non-anxious leader in the room. Where have you seen that at play? It's hmm. a great question. Yeah, I mean, I, in various, I mean, for, you know, this is, this is recent. This is also past, meaning, I mean, this is kind of my whole, it seems like what people want in a leader is a sense of security and stability. Uh, a little, you know, they want to be challenged a little bit, um, but they don't. But at the end of the day, that they, they really—it's it, kind of what you know. 
they want they want their spirituality and they want but they also want to kind of hang on to their own idols and so um i see a hang on a second Sorry, we had a child popped in. Um, you're talking about anxiety in the group. That's what you were talking about. Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a it, you know, it, in my experience, people really want stability, um, clarity, and, you know, and, and a little bit of uh, a vision, you know. And I, what I see with people now, this has been all throughout my uh, um you know, journey as a leader is that, man, it, they they get really nervous when things aren't stable, clear, uh, you know, and and so then they they really just you know they start talking, they start um, gossiping, they start uh, questioning, they get suspicious, they get cynical, and in my own experience, because I had a fear and a, a lack of uh, uh, you know. What, whatever was going on in me, fear and you know sadness that I wasn't dealing with, I wasn't. I was anxious, yeah. and so I just I feel like for a lot of my leadership life, I have been kind of led around by, and then I'm putting out fires, um, you know, trying to over you know over meet That's with it. people, over functioning, over communicate, yeah, or over teach and over like and and and, and instead of just like oh, wait a minute, what, what you, know, you need from um, me is more words. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah, that'll solve yeah. everything. My yeah. words. Uh, good. Uh, you guys are doing great. Two more questions. I I believe you're going to make it. Um, <laughs> great. Uh, how do you, how do you each know when the other is not well? Ooh. <laughs> well these are good questions. Well, I mean, would you know. like would you like me to start? <laughs> Yeah, I, I would, um, Darren, when he is um, struggling, I would say, or we can call it not well, or I would say even when Darren doesn't know what to do, he starts um, becoming overly concerned about getting things done. Um, are we moving forward? Are we making progress? Is he having influence? Uh, he gets very active and has a very difficult time resting. Um, now, this is much better than it used to be uh, because he's learned a lot about that himself. And I would say when he is really unwell, he gets lethargic and checked out. But usually what happens first is sort of a hyperactive functioning um, or trying to, trying to sort of solve his inner turmoil uh, through accomplishment that's good Mm -hmm. yeah and i think for amy i mean it's it's kind of a couple things one she either gets very uh i'll just say apathetic about life it kind of just doesn't really is not very motivated uh to do much uh, as far as engaging her life um just kind of you know aimless maybe the best way to say it Uh, and then other thing, but kind of on the opposite side, if she, if she gets really like uh, efficient and productive, she can really just kind of get checked out relationally um, because she's getting all this stuff done. And so, really, those two twin things, like uh, under engagement and over engagement, maybe the mm-hmm. best way to say it. I, I know something's going on no, when I see good. that. 
Uh, last question, I think, is actually the most important one, because um, I, uh, the work I've done is, is the theology of chronic anxiety. I, I believe uh, mm. that it gets us in its grip, very similar to the way Paul teaches about sin getting us in its grip. It kind of grabs mm -hmm. us, and it, it takes us away from the gospel of hope and puts us into a like a room of doom or a corner of doom. And um, if it's true that chronic anxiety is a spiritual force, then I don't believe you can be filled with anxiety and filled with unconditional love at the same time. I think love actually displaces anxiety. So mm. when in your guys' life do each of you feel most fully loved? Mm. Probably for me after all the stuff went down um, and Amy was just said, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to get through this. And just was so patient with my anxiety, depression, crazy, you know, thoughts, uh, words, and yeah, just that whole, that whole time. Yeah, I would agree in the sense that, you know, we really, um, you know, even in the depths of, of the darkness of a lot of that time, I think we really, Darren and I really learned to cling to each other and to love each other um, deeply in ways that we hadn't before because so much was stripped away and there just wasn't, there wasn't much left um, to hang on to except to really love each other well. But I would also say that a couple of the counselors that we had in this process were, um, just fatherly and um, just deeply loving in ways that we really needed. And we felt like we were, were seen and known and truly loved for where we were, despite uh, all of our mess, the mess that we had made and the mess that we were in. And so I think that what Darren said is true in our marriage and has been true for each other. But I would say that those men were really, um, were so loving in such a godly uh, way to us. It was, I don't, I don't think I've experienced mm, anything like that before. It. Great guys. Thank you both so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate your time. I, I've been looking forward to this for a while. So thanks for coming and sharing your heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org.